You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. It's lovely to be with you here today. We're still in the book of John, looking at Jesus's last words. So I was staying at my uh, brother's a while ago, and I was doing that thing, you know, when you're in somebody's bathroom and you figured out the little knacks in their shower and all of that nonsense. And then I was putting my makeup on, and I noticed they had one of those double-sided mirrors. I don't have one of those for good reason. And I thought, oh yeah, do my makeup. I'll just flip this over, see what that's like and uh, flipped it over and I thought, whoa, no thanks. When it says magnifying mirror, it really means it. I could see every flaw, line, wrinkle, lump, bump, and quite frankly, I didn't want to. Um, So today's passage might feel a little bit like that for us. It's this mirror that we're going to see, possibly. We want to flip it over, skip on by. It's a little uncomfortable. We maybe don't like what we see. And so now you're wondering, well, what is it? Um, And to give you a clue, it's, imagine in your mind's eye, Da Vinci's Last Supper. Maybe you know the painting, hopefully you do. If not, you can look it up online. And that is our setting. And the stories we're looking at today are Judas's betrayal of Jesus. And then the prediction of, um, of Peter's denial set in the scene of the Last Supper. I'd quite happily skip over it. I think that's because I don't, I don't read it and think, oh, Judas, unbelievable. I would never do that. Um, I wouldn't have done that. He's so weak, so wrong. I think, or Peter, I think, oh, honestly, he denied him three times, no way. I think I actually find it uncomfortable because I, I see Judas in me or I see Peter in me. Could I have betrayed him actually or, or denied him? Or perhaps I do that even day to day in in small ways. And maybe you know what I mean, maybe it's not just me admitting this, but it's uncomfortable. And it's also uncomfortable because we know that this is the first domino that sets off the, the thing that Judas is about to set off, this massive plan. We want Judas to change his mind and take it back and sit down and continue eating. But ultimately, Judas or someone else has to start the plan. Jesus teaches us that sometimes this uncomfortable thing, this troubling thing even, has to happen to get to the bigger picture, to get through to the light, to get to the victory, to get to the truth. We have to push through the dark places, the unavoidable dark places, the unavoidable failures and the unavoidable fears. Our lumps, bumps, wrinkles and flaws, and yet he loves us anyway. Jesus faces the darkness and his love and light and faith overcome it all. So let's read. Today we're in John 13, 18 to 38. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. 
after he said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciples whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to his disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charged the money, had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give him something to the poor. As soon as Jesus had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once. My old children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Yeah, it's a big long passage, but a good one, lots in it, hey? And just to rock your world a bit, perhaps, we've already imagined the Last Supper, as we maybe often do in the Da Vinci sense, but actually it wouldn't have quite looked like that. Historians tell us it would have been way more relaxed. There would have been a, a table in the middle and the disciples would have been lying down on their fronts, um, eating almost on top of each other, really intimate and close and relaxed. I'm thinking they had sore tummies after that, not an ideal way to eat, but anyway. And uh, of interest, slaves would stand um, or sit to eat their meal, but to recline, laying down at ease, was the sign of freedom, great freedom. And Jesus had just washed their feet not long before, even Judas's. And now, side by side, they dine. Great intimacy, great friendship. And then now in this moment, also great betrayal but also a place where light overcomes darkness. I don't know what you're like when you're facing something challenging, uh, something way out of your comfort zone, but if I'm facing something challenging, I have a tendency to feel troubled. And my trouble looks a bit like um, this. I wake up in the night and I toss and turn and I overthink every little single detail, all the little could go wrongs, all the worst case scenarios, the what I'm wanting to say, the way I wanted to look. And then once I've thought of all of those things, I'll start again. I don't know, maybe just me. And uh, I kind of go through in my head little strategies to help and I try not to lose too much sleep. And if I remember to pray about it, that always helps, of course. But my other strategies are to say, 
pretty much I've got these sort of mantras and I have to go, Kirsty, all right, stop being ridiculous. You've got four assemblies with 200 teenagers each in them and you've been asked to do it by God and you have to get on with it. The school's asked you to do it. Women up, get on with it. And my focus has to be the light at the end of the tunnel. So I kind of say, it'll all be over by 12 o'clock. It's this little phrase that gets me through because one way or other, failure or fun or you know, brilliant or awful, it will be over. It'll be finished. And probably I'll be relieved. I might have grown a bit in my faith and my experience. Hopefully I'll have shared Jesus along the way. And I have to say my fighting top mantra is, if God is for me, who can be against me? This breath prayer that I use, and it gets me through to the light. And this is the moment for Jesus that he knows will start the ball rolling, the plan, the ultimate plan. And he's like, okay, Judas, I know what you've got to do. Jesus could have intervened, could have given him counsel. He corrects the disciples all the time. Yet he knew that he had to do this. He couldn't put it off or avoid it. God was asking him to one way and one way or another, it would have happened. And soon it would be finished. Because although he feels like this is hard and horrible and troubling just now, he knew the bigger picture was going to get him to a place of victory. Judas can't see it. The devil doesn't see it. He reckons he's playing the winning card here, I think. But his father had shown him and he knew he had to face this darkness for the light to overcome it. It says, so Jesus told him, what are you about to do? Do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why. Jesus said to him, since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give him something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, for God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. From the third verse of the Bible, light intervenes. And later in the Gospel of John, we learn that not only did God create literal light, but that he himself is symbolically light, that by which we see all things. We were created to be in his light, to bask in it, to live our lives in its warmth, reflect on its illumination and realize that God is good and every bit as good as he claimed to be. Light that provides light that is powerful. After all, he just spoke and there it was, light. But as with any story, that's only the beginning because darkness crept in the way it often does. We see it first in the Garden of Eden. Satan whispers to Eve, did God really say? Eve wondered, did he really mean what he said? Is it really about that? Can you really not have this good thing you want? I wonder what lies the enemy said over Judas. Maybe this isn't really a king. He's not gonna win the way you need. You might have to force his hand. Does the enemy work lies into your life? You're so unworthy. You've messed up again. You might as well give up, throw in the towel. You can't do this. 
What is it you believe? Are you sure? We need to try and let this moment of darkness that we can see push us towards the light. We need to learn from this betrayal to push us towards receiving his love. Let this denial push us towards saying yes. Let this love shown to us push us towards loving others. We have to push through the dark valleys to reach the light. So Jesus pushes through to the light and Jesus also points us to the light. Ali and I, uh, Ali's my husband, uh, really love to watch a good TV series, a good whodunit maybe. And I do this incredibly annoying thing. I think it's the skill, you know, um, where within the first couple of minutes, I'm like, it was Colonel Mustard in the drawing room. Well, not quite, but I'm pretty sure who the murderer is from the get-go. And uh, he goes pretty mental at me. Sorry about that, Ali. But to me, it's obvious. I can read people well. I can pick vibes up on people. I can see how they're feeling. I'm quite sensitive to that, especially if you know somebody well. You, don't, you can see in their body language, their commitment to something, the way they message you. You know, don't you? But the disciples did not know who it would be. Verse 22 said his disciples stared at one another at a loss as to which one of them he meant. Yeah, one of them, the disciples whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Judas of, well, maybe we could look back with hindsight and decide it must have been pretty obvious actually, because, you know, it was Judas and, but anyway, they did actually trust him with the money, didn't they? He was their treasurer, although maybe we've seen in previous passages that he was a little ca caught up in the money. And we could forgive Judas maybe because it says the devil entered him, but choice is playing a part here. I wonder if he decided, yeah, this, this might just force Jesus' hand. All of a sudden, the super person will come up and zap everyone that he's zapped, overcome Satan. He just didn't know that there was a different plan. He had to die. That would be the ultimate victory over evil. And Judas goes out and it was night, darkness. What Jesus doesn't do is start feeling more troubled and more down about it all. I think I'd probably have a little moan about that. Can you believe that, Judas? Hurt, so hurt. And he was hurting, but he could see the bigger picture. He knows the bigger plan. And although Jesus, Judas has allowed and chosen darkness to rule in his life in this moment, Jesus immediately points to the light, to the victory, to God's glory. Glory, 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 repeated five times, verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. This is only the second time that Jesus has spoken of the Son of Man being glorified. He's spoken of God being glorified and the Son of Man being lifted up, but now he puts the two together. As in Daniel 7, one like a Son of Man will be exalted, coming on the clouds to the Ancient of Days. The whole scene will be the moment of God's glory, revealing who the true God is over against the dark forces of the world. Glory, 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 glory. God's glory is finally going to be revealed. And that's where he's showing us the story is headed. 
And the word glory tends to point towards his physical manifest presence, one that no one can look upon. Historically in the Bible, Moses hid his face in the cleft of the rock. His glory appeared in clouds and lights and earthquakes. But now this awesome power and awesome presence is coming together in the Son of Man, poured into Jesus so it could be poured out for us on the cross. Ultimate glory. So light overcomes darkness and love overcomes failure. Verse 34 says, A new command I will give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So four times love is repeated in this passage. Love, 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 love. Jesus didn't stop the, the situation. He pushed through to the light. He pointed to the light and he didn't stop loving them. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think it gives us great hope because let's face it, we're, we're going to mess up time and time and time again until we die. <laughs> Judas not long ago was joining in with the miracles and every other privilege, the intimacy with Jesus, every other privilege the disciples had. His feet had just been washed by Jesus. And then in this moment, when Jesus gives him the bread, in this context, it'd be a bit like toasting or honoring the guest. We raise a glass to Judas. Jesus is saying, Judas, I know what you're going to do what you're going to choose. I know it's going to kill me. And yet, I still love you. You're still free to choose, but I still love you. It's hard to fathom. I feel like shouting, don't, don't honor him. He doesn't deserve it. And then I remember the mirror. Because frankly, who does deserve this kind of love? We are nowhere near this kind of love. We fall out with people or hold grudges or just hold people at arm's length if they hurt us. It's our punishment to them, isn't it? Our, our judgment, our justice. We have such a long way to go to love one another as he loved us, as he asked us to do, or, or commanded us to do actually, a long way. Jesus sees our whole lives ahead of us. He sees the choices we'll make, great ones, terrible ones, and yet, undeservingly, freely, he still loves us. And we get to choose. It's not an easy ask to sort of lay aside feelings or hurts or distrust or come to places of forgiveness. It's only possible because he loved us first. Because he loved Judas. Because he loved Peter. Because he loves you. He loves the magnified mirror version of you, the Judas version of you, the Peter version of you, the Thomas version of you. You are the disciple Jesus loves. Maybe you just want to pop your name in there for a second. Kirsty, the one Jesus loves, whatever your name is, he loves you. And I think we can imagine Jesus loving the people we pretend to be or we think we should be, not the sinners we are, not, not the mirror version but this is exactly what he does because his love overcomes all of our failures. I hear people quite often saying, oh, I thought I might instantly catch fire when I came to church. And uh, I think maybe that's when people think they're so undeserving because of sin or because of life or because of experience. They've counted themselves out. Judas counted himself out. 
ultimately you read later that he felt regret and tried to give the money back that he'd taken for it and eventually tragically took his own life and I'm desperately sad that he didn't think he could turn back. A bit later, Peter having denied him did make a different choice though. He turned around and when asked if he loved him, he responded yes, yes and yes, yes three times. I want to let you know today, if it wasn't, yesterday wasn't your best and you thought, I might as well not bother, that Jesus says there's always a way back. We just have to turn around. We just have to be willing with our hearts to say, I'm here and here's my yes. And maybe then we can come to a place where faith overcomes fear. Verse 36 says, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And the pa passage at the beginning repeats, accept, 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 and then finishes with follow, follow, follow. And I would say that points to surrender, surrender, surrender. It points to faith. We've um, occasionally been known to walk up a Monroe here or there, and as a youngster, I would bound up those hills, no bother whatsoever, and I'd make sure I touched the very tip or put a stone on top of the cairn, because otherwise it doesn't count, does it? Um, I, even if it was blowing a gale, I'd take some photos, I'd hang out up there for a wee while. And uh, as I've aged, that has changed. And I was at the top of a hill, well, almost the top, uh, not that long ago, and the wind started picking up. And the next thing I knew, my legs were shaking, and I was on the deck. And I literally was clinging to the rocks, climbing my way to the top. I still had to touch the top, obviously, to make it count. But I had to crawl. And you might be thinking, that sounds pretty scary. Kirsty, don't worry, don't be hard on yourself. But let me tell you, everybody else was just quite happily just walking past me. It probably wasn't that bad. For some reason, my fear has shifted and my fear had pinned me to the ground. It had stopped me in my tracks. And life can be like that at times, can't it? A wise pastor said to me this, make decisions from a place of faith, not from a place of fear. I don't know if it was an original quote, but I use it daily. Because I don't know about you, but I have a secret. It's that I'm insecure sometimes. I worry about what people think. I want to be loved and liked. I get caught up in my thoughts, wondering what people are thinking of how I'm doing things, what I say, the choices I make as a pastor, as a mother, as a friend. And it's the very thing that stops me in my tracks. It pins me to the ground, and it's exactly where the devil wants me. And if that's you today, God says, if God is, well, he's saying, if, if I'm for you, who can be against you? And let's choose to make decisions from a place of faith, not from fear. Judas's fear led him to betrayal. Peter's fear led him to denial. My fear leads me nowhere nowhere near my purpose, nowhere near my God-given identity. But we know that God's perfect love casts out fear. So maybe just ponder today, where does your fear put you? Where does it keep you stuck? Because I'd love for you to hear today that we have a God of freedom 
and he wants you to feel free from that fear today, especially the ones that are making you just stick and stand still. He wants you to step into all that he has for you. And that does take faith. And the passage today we looked at ends with a question to Peter, will you really lay down your life for me? And Peter thought he would. And I'm sure we think we will. Maybe ask yourself today, what does living in a place of surrender look like for me? Where am I not fully surrendered to him? And we could be a da Vinci, upright, proper, false, in fact, kind of relationship with Jesus, or we could be real. We could be lying beside him in a place of freedom, leaning on him, intimately close with him, hearing his words, experiencing his presence and his love. It's like nothing else we know. I'd love just to pray for us to wrap up today. So, Lord, we lean in. We ask you to meet us. Thank you that you love us in all our flaws. And I pray especially for those in a place of fear, in a place of feeling stuck, frozen. I just pray your release over them today, Lord. We say, come Holy Spirit to the places of fear and bring your freedom like only you can, Jesus, because of what you did on the cross for us, because of your love that overcomes all. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>